Internationally known demographer with expertise on U.S. demographics, American political demographics, and author of Diversity Explosion, How New Racial Demographics Are Remaking America. He's also the author of a new report, America's Electoral Future, How Changing Demographics Could Impact Presidential Elections from Now in 2016 to 2032. Although from now is not part of the title. Uh, Thank you for joining us, William Frey, uh, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution. More than a pleasure. William, good afternoon and welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Leslie. Uh, William, uh, the big question is, can Trump win in November? And you know that elections do come down to maps and demographics, and we're seeing a changing demographic, literally the face of the American voter changing. So uh, let's talk about the short answer first and then break that down as to why. Well, the short answer is it's complicated. <laughs> I love that answer, actually. Okay. Uh, you know, because, the, as, as you alluded to, the, the demographics of this country have been changing dramatically. I think most observers can say that uh, the, the increased uh, diversity in this country went a long way to electing and re-electing Barack Obama. If you, just, if you lay it out, we've looked at all the maps and everything like that. Certainly there are more whites and minorities in this country, but the, the balance sort of shifted given the very strong turnout of the minority population and the, the very overwhelming support for Barack Obama among blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and other groups. And uh, so that, coupled with the changing underlying, you know, the plates of the demography going on in this country uh, had, had a lot to do with that. And, of course, a huge enthusiasm of the first African-American uh, presidential candidate from a major party had a lot to do with it as well. So now we're, we're in, in uh, another election, and Barack Obama is not running. Uh, we have a Democrat, uh, probably Hillary Clinton, the way things are looking, uh, an older baby boomer white woman, but still with strong ties to the African-American community, as we see in a lot of these primaries. Uh, but the Republicans, it looks like, with Donald Trump, uh, although we don't know after some of the stuff coming down today, uh, <laughs> how, how clear his path is going to be. But if we assume that his path is coming to be the Republican nominee, he is—he's uh, not reaching out to this minority population very much. But he has very, very strong support from at least we now know from the white voters who, who vote in largely white uh, Republican primaries, especially what you might call the blue-collar whites, people who have not reared their head very much in the last couple of uh, presidential elections. And uh, so it's a, it's a clash of changing demography and this kind of sharp racial division uh, in voting patterns, which we still see in this country. And, and, and the real issue is what, what's going to win. And you know, so we sort of, on this report uh, that we wrote, we sort of tried to lay all of this out in terms of what each state might do. I mean, I should, I should preface this by saying the report, which is done by myself and collaborators at uh, Brookings Institution, where I'm affiliated with, but also the Center for American Progress, uh, have uh, tried to be nonpartisan in the sense we, we, did, we didn't even plug in particular candidates. We did hypothetical, who's a Republican, who's a Democrat, what, what were the, the past voting patterns, and now with the changing demography, what are we likely to see given different kinds of scenarios of, you know, who might have bigger support for minorities, who might be, have bigger support for whites. We put that all into a big box <laughs> and came out with these different kinds of results. Uh, but it seems to me, from looking at all of this, that uh, someone like Trump's best chance of coming out of things is to make his inroads into the whiter states in the Midwest that have been going Democrat for the last couple of elections, states especially Ohio, but perhaps Pennsylvania, Iowa, 
Wisconsin. I think Michigan's a little bit of a stretch just because of the way the demography has and the voting patterns have gone. Uh, so that even if the diversity goes against him in a state like Florida or Virginia or Colorado, which uh, is Colorado, still a pretty white state, but getting many more Hispanics moving into it, even if, if, if Trump were to lose those states, he might try to look at these, these Midwestern states as a potential firewall. But, I, you know, I think that's, that's his possible strategy. I'm not going to put any money on whether or not that would work, but I think that would be his possible strategy, is coming against this changing, more diverse demography in the rest of the country, putting his eggs in the basket of these whiter states where there are a lot of still kind of angry middle-class, uh, working-class whites who uh, you know, seem to be the kind of people coming out in these primaries for him. But in a general election, we do see different people come out. I mean, like, you know, Democrats historically come out more in a presidential election year than midterm election, and they come out for the general election more than they do in the primaries, with the exception, I think, when uh, George Daddy uh, was elected and Democrats had, you know, come out in record numbers, and that didn't obviously make a difference in the end. Uh, But when we look at the changing of that shift from whites being a majority to a minority – um, I think that fuels the fear, and I wrote an article about that that uh, came out in the Huffington Post today, um, that, you know, Donald Trump is their great white hope, and that's what they're hoping to latch on to. You know, brown illegal immigrants, Mexicans, whatever, debarred them. Uh, brown Muslims, keep them out. You know, <laughs> you know keep us a majority for as long as possible. Um, will that perhaps even prompt more whites to come out? Because obviously Donald Trump has alienated almost every person of color at you know, this point and you know, uh, a- any non-Judeo-Christian <laughs> white person out there. Um, and Hillary does very strongly uh, you know, with those voters. Um, so uh, when it comes down to numbers, does he have the white support? Are there the white support looking at the numbers uh, that he would need to be able to prevail over Hillary. And I say that because the polls are very confusing, as you know. He was shown to have 49% support of the Republican Party. But when you break down the actual numbers of people voting for him, it comes out to not support voting for him in these primaries and caucuses. It really comes out to more of like a third, not half, of the Republican Party uh, voting and supporting him. And, of course, that could change you know, once he's you know, the nominee, which would seem uh, obvious he would be, much like it seems pretty uh, obvious and apparent that Hillary Clinton would. But does he have those um, white voters? Because, you know, it's not just a matter, or is it just a matter of skin color? Because he is saying some things that I know many white Republicans find hard to swallow and, and feel is contrary to the values of their party. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the bet he's making, that he'll be able to have that big turnout among people who buy into his message, and there would be enough of those voters to be able to counter the more moderate white voters, of which there are, uh, many white moderate women who um, I think he's gone out of his way to uh, diss in many ways in some of his talks, as well as the minority population, which, believe me, if Donald Trump is the candidate for the Republican Party, there's not going to be a problem in generating minority turnout for Democrats. I think that's, that's going to be just as high, if not higher, than it was for Barack Obama, if he is the candidate and continues to say the same kinds of things about immigrants and so forth. So the real question then is, you know, he can stir up the, the people who feel like they're the victims of a, a bad economy, they were the victims of maybe Barack Obama's policy, maybe because immig- they may think because immigrants are coming to the U.S., that may have taken jobs away from them, you know, whether that's true or not, and I, I don't happen to think it's true, uh, but 
but but if he can make that case, are there enough of those people, especially in some of these whiter states, to be able to pull that out? Now, you know, the what's called the working-class white population, which is still a very high percentage of people in those states, like Ohio and the other ones I mentioned, uh, you know, they haven't turned out as much in recent elections as they had, say, in 2004 when George W. Bush ran. And that was part of the reason, I think, that Republicans lost those states. So uh, he is betting that he can get that turnout really high, get them really excited, and, and uh, more to sort of blot out maybe the more moderate Republicans who may be a little bit concerned about some of his statements, and certainly this huge Democratic base. You know, in Ohio, uh, which is about 85 percent white, uh, the Republicans uh, took the white vote, continue to take the white vote in election after election, but it's that small minority population that turns out so much that it's able to counter the white Republican vote in Ohio and in many of those other Midwest states. What Trump is counting on is there's going to be a rising up of many of those blue-collar whites in Ohio and some of those other states to counter that strong, that strong minority turnout. You know, that's the bet. I, you know, I wouldn't say he can do that. But that's what he's betting on, and it's kind of a small, you know, it's kind of a small chance. I think. Uh, I don't think he's going to get the broad-based support all around the country, especially in states where the working-class white population isn't quite as big. I'm surprised that he's getting as much support uh, from the evangelical white population, uh, who, if you look at his personal history, if you look at the things he says, uh, is not consistent with what they say they have believed in terms of being social conservatives and and religious conservatives and and, and that sort of thing. You know, so I was wrong there. Um, I may be wrong again, but I think, you know, those other states, he's not going to do as well against a larger uh, minority uh, electorate that continues to come out as he might have a chance in those Midwest states. And I think it's a very, I don't think it's a huge uh, probability at this point, but, you know, I and others, I'm not the first one who, who's been wrong about Donald Trump up till now. Well, if you assume that 72% of the voters are white, wouldn't, if Trump got 0% of the minority of votes, uh, that he would need 70% of whites to win the national popular vote? Yes, and, and no one has ever done that. <laughs> I mean, at least since we've had a reasonable minority population. The last time we've come close was in 1984 when Ronald Reagan was able to get 66% uh, of the white vote against Walter Mondale, where he crushed Walter Mondale, essentially, in that election. It was Reagan's re-election. And, uh, of course, then we were a much whiter country than we are now. Uh, so uh, that would be very difficult to do. I, I don't think that's happening at all. Now, now I don't think, of course, that if that if he runs for president, he certainly will get some minority. But I don't think he'll get zero minority votes. I think that's that's there. There are certainly people in every racial group that have different philosophies and different views of things, and there certainly are going to be uh, Republican blacks, Republican Hispanics, perhaps especially some of them may vote for him. So that zero thing for minorities, that's kind of a hypothetical. But even if he gets 30% of the minority vote, uh, it's been calculated that he'll still need 64% of the white vote to come out uh, to get the national popular vote. And even that is kind of Reagan-level uh, turnout and, and voting among the white population. I think that's, that's, that's pretty unrealistic, too. Um, We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with our guest. I hope you will stick around and join us. If you have questions, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543.
William H. Frey is a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. His website for Brookings is brookings.edu. And on Twitter, follow at Brookings Metro. Back after this. Known demographer. He is an expert on U.S. demographics. He's author of Diversity Explosion How New Racial Demographics Are Remaking America, and also author of a new report, America's Electoral Future How Changing Demographics Could Impact Presidential Elections from 2016 to 2032. Uh, William, before whites are no longer the majority, do you think we're going to see every two to four years when we have elections, whether it's a national presidential election or a midterm election? Uh, not just a change uh, in demographics, but perhaps a change in rhetoric and party. You would think, if anything, it would be quite the opposite of what Donald Trump is putting forth uh, to include, uh, especially Hispanics, the fastest growing segment of our population and also of the voter population. Well, well, I, I would think so, and I would hope so, uh, if parties, especially if the Republican Party, wants to continue to be competitive in the future uh, as uh, the white population will still be a, the majority population, but it will have increasingly less clout over time. You know, I, I wrote an op-ed after uh, the Romney uh, loss in 2012 saying that this may have been the last hurrah for this kind of uh, <laughs> kind of uh, campaign where uh, the one party is talking about deportation and the other party is uh, reaching out to the new minorities that, that maybe this time around we would have a much more centrist type of uh, conversation. But I, I was wrong about that, and uh, so I, I don't know if I want to predict what's going to happen in 2020 if we have this kind of scenario here. I must say, though, that the, uh, the congressional elections, the off-year elections, uh, are not quite as uh, competitive this way in, in, in terms of the kind of racial dynamic. And, of course, that is because there are a lot of congressional districts that are in smaller towns, that are in outer suburban areas, that are in rural parts of the country that still have not gotten to be part of the diversity explosion in the United States. A, a lot of the, the Hispanic and the black populations are still more heavily concentrated in big cities and larger metropolitan areas, although that, too, is changing over time. And uh, But I think that when you looked at the results of last year's congressional elections, uh, especially with large white turnout, not so much minority turnout, uh, you have this huge sweep of Republican seats in the, in the uh, Congress. And I think both because the demography isn't spreading, the demography of diversity isn't spreading out as dramatically, and because the turnout of the minority population isn't as big in these off-year elections, uh, that'll be longer to come around. But I think at the presidential level, uh, we definitely will will be seeing uh, in 2020, I'm predicting it, and I was wrong when I predicted for 2016, something where uh, both parties are going to be trying to cater to this younger uh, and minority population. You know, Hispanics uh, are not coming here only from immigration anymore. A biggest part of Hispanic growth in the United States is the growth of uh, birth to U.S. Correct. residents. And uh, every year... Uh, you know, many, many new Hispanic people are turning 18. They're citizens, and certainly you know that in California and, and in, certainly in many other parts of the country. So this is a change that if the Republican Party is one, wants to stay competitive at, at the White House level and even kind of statewide offices like senatorial seats and gubernatorial seats, uh, they're going to have to wake up and see this. I mean, some states have already come on the bandwagon on this, but at the national level, um, I think that if they continue to go down this road, it's, it's, a, it's a path for extinction. Uh, let's talk about your study and the study that you worked on. Um, and 
with two other guys, uh, Rui Texiera and Robert Griffin. It was a collaboration, as you said, between Brookings, the Center for American Progress, and the American Enterprise Institute. And in your study, you simulated the 2016 election under several different scenarios, and you did it based on the projected race and age composition of the electorates in the 50 states and D.C., and the simulations assume, obviously, different sets of uh, turnout and voting patterns that get applied to updated uh, demographics. Um, now, you said, uh, as ex- might be expected, and let's talk about that, scenarios which apply the turnout in Democratic-Republican voting patterns in the 2008-2012 Obama victory elections yield similar Democratic Electoral College wins in 2016. But when you instead applied the turnout and voting patterns from the 2004 election, and that's when George W. beat uh, John Kerry, uh, the simulation produces a 2016 Democratic popular vote win, but a Republican electoral college win. So what you know? So which? So are we looking at a another? You know, let's take this to court and let the court decide who really is president. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were kind of, uh, kind of not stunned, but I think sort of interested in that particular finding that if you use the same kind of voting patterns for different racial groups and apply them to 2016 demography, that, that the national popular vote turns Democrat rather than Republican just because the underlying demography has swept along that way. Uh, but it is a very small increase in the Democratic uh, popular margin. It's like uh, 0.1% <laughs> gain. And uh, as, as you said, the Electoral College vote would still go to the Republicans. Florida, believe it or not, <laughs> stays Republican under this, this scenario, just as it did in 2000 after the Supreme Court got done with things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if that were the case uh, this time around, and our projections came out to be exactly true with a 2004 voting scenario, uh, we would be in that same situation. <laughs> But looking at a 2004 voting scenario, um, even though even though it would yield a slight Republican win in November, you write that it does not necessarily bode well for Trump. Why? Why in that 2004 scenario? Yes, that's right. These 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 simulations were based on kind of a hypothetical Republican and a hypothetical Democratic candidate. But if you actually put the face of Donald Trump on the Republican candidate, I think that the uh, sort of lower minority turnout that did exist in the 2004 election then had gotten higher since then, especially with Barack Obama winning, uh, running for president. That low minority turnout wouldn't apply if Trump was a, Repub- was a Republican candidate. The, the, the low majority turnout would, in, would rise, and the, the enthusiasm among minorities to vote against Trump I think would be much higher uh, than was the, uh, the the kind of excitement or lack of excitement there was among minorities in that 2004 election. So I think that a lot of these states that would have come out, Florida in particular, but maybe Virginia and maybe Colorado, which would have gone Republican in this simulation, uh, would probably be Democrat with a higher minority turnout, especially among Hispanics. So right. The kind of way Trump has kind of railed against immigration and Hispanics, that would increase their turnout a lot. I think would make a big difference. Yeah, and of course, the threat of the uh, nomination of another Supreme Court and the next Supreme Court member by Donald Trump, that's frightening in itself as well. William, thank you for joining us. William H. Frey, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution. The website is brookings.edu. On Twitter, follow at Brookings Metro, Brookings, M-E-R-T-R-O.